0: Okay, so today I have decided to talk about two different dramas and to completely fucking deviate from everything that this show is about, one of them is not a Korean drama. Um, I will admit I kind of struggled over whether to, you know, to include this um, non-Korean drama um, onto my show and whether to kind of give it a big focus or maybe just talk about it briefly in like one of my random things sections. Um, and in the end... I don't know, I guess I kind of came to the idea that this is my podcast where I talk about, you know, these shows that are beautiful, that I'm very, very passionate about. And this week, the show that really, really stole my heart was not a Korean one. Um, I don't think, you know, it's going to be a super, super regular thing, but sometimes I really do just get obsessed with a different show from a different country. And I guess I get excited to talk about it. And I really, really want to share how I felt about this show with all of you guys, because I do think that if you enjoy Korean dramas, you know, there's so many similarities um, between the show that I'm going to talk about and Korean dramas that, you know, there's a lot of crossover appeal there, I think. Um, so I am very excited to talk about it. And, you know, I also figured, why the fuck not? I'm going to do it. <laughs> um, but I'm also going to pair my discussion with the non-Korean show with the Korean show, just so that I can keep a little bit more on topic this week. Um, so let's get started. So, the first show that I have chosen to speak about today is called Let's Eat 2. So, this is kind of a complicated one. This show is, well, it says it's 18 episodes, which is a weird length for a show. Um, but it came out in 2015. But it is the second season of a show called Let's Eat uh, that came out in 2013. So, basically, this show has three seasons. The first one, um, and each season, basically, you can watch as a standalone. And to be honest, um, I kind of think you probably should, because each season stars the same guy playing the same character, but enjoying a different romance with a different woman. So like it kind of like, for instance, season two completely negates any romance in season one, because, you know. They broke up and she's never even mentioned again at all in season two. So I think the best thing to do realistically is watch season two and pretend season one didn't even happen. Um, And then even worse, season three, which came out in 2018, which I have not watched and which I kind of refuse to watch, to be honest, um, completely fucks up season two and everything that you know and love from that storyline. Because season three opens with you finding out that the heroine from season two has died and the main character is like super sad about it and then, you know, falls in love with someone else. And I was like, what the fuck? I'm not watching that. That sounds fucking awful. <laughs> but so let me explain. I have watched only season two of Let's Eat. So Let's Eat 2. Um, I skipped season one not for any reason. I've heard season one's really good. I heard season two was really good. Um, And for me, I guess I kind of felt it was either or because I didn't really want to have to watch him like breaking up and then falling in love with someone else because I guess I'm kind of in it for the romance and I I have this really, you know, shiny ideal idea that these guys are going to stay together forever and be really happy. So it's part of the fantasy of it, I think. Um, So for me, I chose season two because I really like the actress who's in it. Uh, So Hyun Jin, who is quite popular. She's in a lot of different dramas. Um, This was my very first time ever watching her in a show. And I really, really enjoyed her performance in this. And I think followed her around drama land a little bit afterwards. Um, So I guess I I will tell you guys a little bit about the story of Let's Eat 2, which came out in 2015. And basically, you can presume that the other seasons of the show have basically the exact same story as in it's not hugely story focused. I would describe this show as being absolute food porn for most of it with like a little bit of plot and a lot of sort of just character development stuff. Um, Season two, um, I really, really enjoyed. So I loved the romance elements. Um, I really, really found the characters very endearing. I really cared about them. But the food stuff is, it's kind of half fascinating. I swear there's like 10 solid minutes of just like the camera panning in on different foods and you just watching the main characters eat foods were going yum this food is so good and I mean that makes for a strange viewing experience (laughs) it's like it's almost like part documentary of food just like multiple images of close-ups of different food and then you know this romantic storyline kind of thrown in between except that the two main characters are obsessive about eating out. Um, even though they're both really poor and can't afford it all the time. So that was quite fun as well. Um, So basically the whole show um, centers around this dude who's played by the actor Yoon Doo-Joon. So Yoon Doo-Joon, I'm pretty sure he's a K-pop dude. So I'm just going to look that up quickly. Mm, Yes, so Yoon Doo-Joon is a member of the boy band um, called Highlight. Uh, I don't really know much about them. He's in quite a few dramas and this was my first drama seeing him. And he, I think he's one of these actors, like he seriously just grew on me. Like when I first started watching it, I was like, yeah, I could take it or leave it, whatever. And then as the episodes went through, I was like, this guy is great. He's such a good actor. He's very handsome. And I didn't even think that at the beginning of the drama, he just grew on me. He's, I really, really like him now. So I did kind of follow him around, um, drama land a little bit after this as well. And he's in a lot of really good shows. Um, one particularly that I want to rewatch and I will talk about, um, on the podcast in the future, hopefully if I get around to it. So the actor Yoon Doo-Joon plays Daeong. So Daeyong, uh, he's kind of like, he's like an insurance salesman or some shit. And he kind of moves to this sort of different sort of city in Korea. It's kind of like, you know, not a big, big metropolis or anything. It's a bit of a smaller sort of suburban place. And he's just, I don't know, quite isolated and just obsessed with food. And half of the drama is just him in like his dirty tracksuit walking around, just being kind of useless. And it's, he's very... Charming somehow. I don't really know, but he really gets under his skin. And then I think just the romantic elements of this show are great, you know. Um, so the love interest is Bek Suji, played by the actress So Hyun Jin, and she lives in the same apartment block, like kind of near him. Um, and I think she's like a writer and she's having some serious problems with writing, and basically you know, they have a very bickery sort of condescending, like they're quite annoyed at each other all the time. But then they kind of have this thing where they're both just utterly obsessed with food. And, you know, I wouldn't say there's a lot of really big, heavy plot stuff going on. There's a little bit of a love triangle, but, you know, the second guy kind of, I mean, I guess he sort of does have a proper look in, like, I guess it is a proper love triangle, Um, but obviously it's one of those ones where it's so obvious what's going to happen. Um, So the the second male lead is played by Kwon Yul, the actor. Um, So I was talking about Kwon Yul, I think just last week when I was talking about Let's Fight Ghosts. So he is the man who I think has a very small face, potentially. <laughs> yeah, this was my first time seeing him, and I think he's quite good in this. He just plays... You know, the quintessential rich, handsome, nice, perfect, perfect, perfect second male lead who, you know, starts trying to date the heroine um, while the heroine is having this, you know, very bickering relationship with the main male lead. Um, But also, you know, growing closer together through all their fighting and, you know, just kind of being thrown together all the time. And then it is a bit of an ensemble kind of cast. There's a lot of different characters um, and they all sort of just come together and basically eat food for the whole drama. Like it's so fucking weird. It's really odd, Um, but it does make you want to eat like you will watch this and you're like, hmm, I feel like Chinese noodles or whatever. Um it's just all different types of food and you know, they really try hard to make it look amazing and lots of panning like camera like action around it and you know the way that they edit it and stuff. Like so it is it's kinda like a big food document. It's a it's a very odd show. Um but I guess the thing To be honest, sometimes I found the food stuff too much, like a little bit overwhelming, like a little bit like, you know, I'd like to fast forward this bit because nothing is happening except you as a watcher are just viewing food like, you know, there's not going to be an advance to the plot in that section. Um, but there's also this really weird undercurrent of this kind of um, hint at this very sinister, bad sort of crime thing, which really is it just fits very oddly in the tone of the show, because obviously, you know, it's a very light kind of show. It's not like I think it's a little bit emotional. Like I did. Feel emotionally connected when it came to the romance. I actually really liked it, particularly like the very swoony end scene when he finally sort of confesses to her and stuff. Like, I found that super swoony, but it's not like a deep, dark, emotional show. So, having this kind of serious, almost serial killer vibe, which I think, um, you know, it's all a bit of a fake out, really. Um, yeah, it was kind of tonally odd. Um, so, I guess, I mean, the. It's a funny show because I guess there's not much to say because in a way, not a lot happens. It's just a lot of food, some nice romance, some great character development. Um, But I guess what I'll say the show does have going for it is a fantastic character as the main male lead and a fantastic character who is so, you know, you identify so much with her as the female lead. Um, Also, the actor and actress who play those roles are just really, really wonderful. Um, So for me, I guess it's a bit of a special drama because it introduced me to both of those people. And, you know, considering the show is like 18 episodes long and I do, if I don't like something, I don't kind of force myself to watch it to the end. Um, And I did, I watched this all the way through. So even though some parts of it are a little bit boring and you kind of tune out when there's too much food stuff going on, like there is something there that I felt very emotionally connected to and hooked by that I really did want to see it to the end Um, and I just really enjoyed the romantic elements I thought the development of their relationship was done really well and I think because I just liked these two characters so much individually and then when they start developing these kind of difficult complex complicated feelings for each other and don't know what to do about it. Um, it's very compelling, and that really did hook me to the end. And like I said, you know, I found the scene where they get together to be very romantic, um, like, you know, like rewind it quite a few times to watch it, um, which was quite cool, I think, to have such an awesome scene. Um, in a drama like this, that's about food, you know, it was really, really unexpected. So I think my take on it is you could watch this show if you felt like some nice romance um, and you have some time to sit through multiple scenes of food. Or if you are a freaking food obsessive, which, you know, I am, but I enjoy eating it, not like watching it on TV when actually it's, you know, I can't eat it. That's less my thing. But if you're into like TV food, then it's the fucking perfect drama for you because you're going to get all the romance and the character stuff and all the normal K-drama tropes, but you are going to see a fuck ton of food. (laughs) So, um, I can't really comment on Let's Eat Season 1 because I haven't watched it. Uh, but I definitely recommend Season 2, to be honest. And it's completely standalone. You can just walk straight into that with absolutely no knowledge of the franchise at all. And I think even though I haven't seen season three, I will warn you away from it because it sounds stupid. And also, um, towards the end of season three, the main male lead, the actor Yoon Doo-Joon, he gets, um enlisted in army not enlisted you know he gets these like orders that he has to go enlist because he's left it till he's 30 or whatever and you know they have the time limit in Korea where you have to serve before a certain age and so you get conscripted if you leave it too long so of course um, he got conscripted during the run of the drama and then I think it really really fucked with um, I think the runtime and from memory potentially he's not even in the last two episodes or something completely bonkers like that so to me that sounds like an absolute shambles um and also it totally ruins season two so my suggestion just watch let's eat season two and forget the others even exist so now we come to the drama that is not a korean drama and yet is being talked about on my korean drama podcast but Anyway, um, so this show is called The Ghost Bride. Uh, It is Chinese, uh, Chinese language, um, I think, you know, a mix of Taiwanese and Chinese actors, I think. Um, But it is set in Malaysia in the 1890s. So it is a kind of a supernatural historical drama, I would say. So it it draws a lot on, um, you know, Chinese myths and I guess beliefs in terms of the afterlife. Uh, I loved it. Um, So the reason that I got onto this show, The Ghost Bride, is because one of my favorite authors in the whole world is called Yangzi Chu. So she is an American who has written two novels. Her second novel was called The Night Tiger and that was my absolute favorite read of last year as I record this, so my favorite 2019 read. And the book she wrote before that was called The Ghost Bride. Um, and that came out quite a few years ago. And I picked it up and just loved it. So, you know, I've been a fan of that authors for quite a lot. And anything she writes, I will try. Unfortunately, she's only written those two books. So um, I heard, though, that her book, The Ghost Bride, which she wrote quite a few years ago, um, and I just loved this book. It's really good. Um, was getting made into a sea drama, a Chinese drama. Um, and this is it. So it came out this year in 2020. So I would say this is such a low commitment. It's only six episodes in each episode is like maybe just under an hour, not even an hour. Um, So, you know, it's not a big time commitment. It is, I just really loved it, but you know, I'm I'm quite biased towards the story, but I have to say they made quite a lot of changes um, from the book when they created the show, but I don't really mind that. I, I always think, you know, as an author, I get why when things get translated into film or into TV, um, you know, you can't really do it the same. A book is a book and a story through a different medium needs to be, I guess, um, you know, changed and sort of shaped to fit that medium. So I was totally happy with all the changes they made. And some of them were quite big changes, like, you know, a complete and utter change to the male lead's entire personality in the show as opposed to the book. So I was surprised, but I didn't mind at all. So basically, oh, the other thing I really like about this show is that it's set in Malaysia. Um, so I have watched quite a few Chinese dramas that are, you know, more historical. Um, so set or, you know, like fantasy historical or just straight historicals. Uh, so I think, you know, like, are they called Waxia? I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. Um, But this one looks really different. I think um, just because it is set in Malaysia, it has a very different look to it, which I found very just refreshing and different. Um, It felt like something I hadn't really seen before. And I really, really enjoyed that. You get so used to, I suppose, um, you know, the kind of the places or the scenery that you see so often in shows. And it was quite nice to see something so different. Um, And even though this show, I think, um, draws a lot on Chinese mythology and, you know, Chinese beliefs or traditional beliefs around the afterlife, um, I also think it really did its own spin on it. So I kind of was looking at the clothes that people are wearing in, you know, in the supernatural element part, and it it seems very like gothic and this very, um, very sumptuous sort of gothic, dark kind of mix of maybe like a bunch of different things. Like there's a scene where all these um, attendees at this, you know, sumptuous banquet are all wearing masks. And I thought, oh, those masks sort of reminded me a bit of like, um, you know, ancient Venice or, you know, that kind of European culture. So I think it's a little bit of a mishmash, but definitely, you know, Chinese and Malaysian. Okay. So I guess I'll tell you guys a little bit about the story of the ghost bride. Um, and I know for a fact, I'm going to butcher the character's name. So I apologize. I will try my best. So the show is set in 1890s Malacca. So it's, um, like colonial Malaysia. Um, the main character, her name is Lilan and she is Malaysian Chinese. Uh, so she lives in this kind of Really beautiful but slightly crumbling mansion with her elderly father who runs a I think it was a spice business um, that he has been like hoodwinked out of a load of money and they are really really struggling. Um, so they also have a cook who cooks for them and her ama. So her ama is like uh, you know like her nursemaid but also. It's kind of interesting, like, I guess the cook and the ama have been in this family for so long that the four of them really do feel like a family, even though two of them are technically servants and are doing a lot of work for the other two. (laughs) So it's an interesting little arrangement that they have. Um, So obviously we kind of see through the show, um, we get to see, you know, the bustling streets of Malacca and all this kind of stuff. And um, I really liked those elements of it. Um, And there's this sort of, um, I guess... I guess themes of like all these superstitions and things or beliefs of the time running through everywhere and I know that you know Malaysia at that time was a huge well and is probably now um you know like such a, a melting pot of different cultures so I think they touch on that a tiny tiny bit but maybe just in terms of you know the costuming that you see of all the people that are walking around in the background is quite different from what you'd ever see in a Chinese drama so that was quite fun. Um, so Leelan and her dad get invited to, you know, their richie rich friends, um, big, party, uh, which, you know, there's this, the woman of the house is actually holding this massive, like huge party, uh, only a month after her son has just died. And everyone's like, well, that's kind of weird, but also sure. We'll come to your party. Um, but Lilan and her dad are a bit like, why has she invited us? Like where, you know, we haven't seen them for years. haven't talked to them for years. And we're also really fucking poor now. Um, so, you know, not great social connections. Um, but when they get to this party, Uh, Lilan's dad has this conversation with, you know, this grand lady of this grand house, and it turns out that she wants Lilan to marry her dead son. So basically, this is a true tradition that I will tell you, I don't know much about at all. And if you want to know the truth of it, you should probably look it up. <laughs> um, but basically, uh, the ghost bride, the idea of the ghost bride. So this son, um, his name, what's his name? Uh, Tian Qing. So I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong and I apologize. So Tian Qing is he's he's dead, basically. But because he didn't get married before he died, his mother wants to give him, this marriage. And you see throughout the drama that she is constantly burning things for him in the real world, like, say, a cardboard, beautiful, ornate chair. So she burns it. And then later on, when we kind of end, when the drama enters the afterlife, um, we get to see that her son, Tian Qing, is sitting on that same chair. So everything she burns for him in real life gets given to him in the afterlife. And he's living a very sumptuous, wonderful, richy, rich life. Um, so I guess the idea, I mean, they're not going to burn Lilan, which is great. Um, but Lilan would marry him in an official ceremony and become his wife. And she would have to mourn him for the rest of her life. Um, and, because, you know, it's a supernatural drama and we get to see Tianqing, we understand that he would also have a hold on her throughout her life. But the idea is, you know, these richy rich family will help Lilan's dad get his business back on track and, you know, just help them out financially. Um, but before she can really agree or before anything happens, her dad kind of falls into a crazy coma and she starts having mad dreams with this dead son, Tianqing coming into her dreams, scaring the fuck out of her. um, And also telling her that he knows where her dad is. Her dad is on the brink of proper death, like he's fading away in the afterlife. And when that happens, she won't be able to get him back. So Tianqing wants to make a deal with her that she should marry him and then he'll save her dad. And she says, nah, I don't think I'm going to do that. Instead, how about I figure out who poisoned you to death and then in return, you save my dad. So Tianqing says, sure, that sounds great. But meanwhile, Lilan is, um, you know, she has this massive crush from five years ago on this perfect dude who is like the cousin to Tianqing or whatever. And he is now the new heir to this big richy rich house. And she, you know kind of wants to marry him, but of course he has loads of expectations on him from his rich family to marry into a different rich family. And at first, you know, he's he's very doting on her. He's clearly completely in love with her. He follows her around all the time and is really nice to her and caring. So she starts to think that there might be something there for sure. Um, but then he's like, you know, a woman walks up to them in the marketplace and he's like, hey, Lilan, this is my fiance, which he, you know, neglected to tell her about for a few episodes. Um, The guy who plays, uh, I guess, you know, I'm going to call this guy the second male lead because that's what he is. He he, that's exactly who he is. (laughs) So the guy who plays the second male lead is he has the most craziest eyebrows I've ever seen on a man. Like they basically look like someone got a calligraphy brush covered in black ink and just you know, just slashed them on there. They are just so like perfectly shaped, but also enormous. Like they're very distracting. They're not bad at all, but they're crazy. And on top of this, like he has this very like, I suppose, smooth, pretty sort of face. And then he has these insane hands that look like I don't know what they look like. They're just huge and veiny. And just like, I was really confused and I was like, are they his hands? Is he wearing someone else's hands? What is going on? So that was really interesting. But also, you know, he's a great character in the show. I think Um, he's, you know, I guess in a way he represents that perfect second male lead who's so doting and loving. And yet at the same time, he's not because he's very complicated and he has all these expectations on him in terms of you know what he should do for his family and in his eyes and you know in his family's eyes Leland is is not someone he should be marrying and he keeps talking about duty you know duty and honor over love basically and it's something that he's struggling with immensely and he's trying so hard to I guess, to feel something towards his fiancée that he's really not feeling. But in saying that, you know, he clearly hit on her back when he was away because he's been studying to be a doctor for the last five years in, was it Singapore or Hong Kong? Hong Kong, maybe. I've forgotten. Anyway. Um, So he obviously did hit on her like he has had a romance with her. So it's not like he held Lilan in his heart for the last five years or anything like he's been you know, he's been playing around. So but he's interesting and he is very likable. And I think he he tries really hard to do the right thing for Lilan to make her happy and take care of her. Um so meanwhile Lilan starts like uh you know I guess investigating the death of the dead son Tianqing and running around and just doing crazy stuff and pretending to be servants in the house so she can question people and figure it all out and she keeps running into this unbelievably obnoxious kind of like cheeky loud spoken and absolutely enormously tall huge dude um she's clearly very tiny um whose name is Erlang So this servant guy who's constantly just flouting the rules and seems to be investigating sort of the same thing as her, which is why they keep crossing paths. And they have a very bickering thing going on. Um, They're constantly fighting. She thinks he's an absolute tool and kind of hates his guts. And he is quite taken by her um, and just interested, I think. Um, So he is... (sighs) Basically, she finds out really quickly that he's not exactly human and that he's like from heaven and basically he's a worker who has a case. And the case that he's trying to solve is that Tian Qing is in the afterlife, the dead son, but he hasn't kind of turned up to be judged yet. And you get judged, you're good, you're bad, you go to heaven, you go to hell. So Tianqing is just living very happily in the afterlife, like, which is meant to be, you know, I guess the limbo part before you get judged, but he's staying there indefinitely and he's not meant to. So it's um, Erlang's job to discover how Tianqing is doing that. Like, who is he bribing? Like, what's going on that he's able to do that? So, yeah, I mean, it's a big kind of plotty sort of investigation, I guess, because we've, we're trying to find out who killed Tianqing and why, but also trying to figure out how Tianqing is living so well in the afterlife. And we know that his mother is, you know, burning all this money and all these things for him, but he's also bribing an afterlife official, which is what, um, you know, this deity from heaven, Erlang, who certainly doesn't ever at any point in the drama act like a deity from heaven, <laughs> which is very fun, of course. Um so he's trying to investigate you know who Tianqing is bribing. Um so yeah, it's just really, really fun. And then basically about halfway through the drama, things really change again. And what happens is Lilan gets hurt and she goes into a coma as well, basically, and turns up in the afterlife. And then most of the drama at the end is spent with her roaming around this very surreal, like beautifully done landscape that's very like, oh, it's very harsh and bleak, but something beautiful about it. And she has to live in this you know, big, black, scary, crumbly mansion with um the dead son, Tianqing, who thinks they're about to get married. And she's sort of kind of got to fool him while wearing these, you know, amazing, gorgeous dresses and, you know, secretly investigating him. And then, um, you know, Erlang, the heaven deity turns up to help her. Um, but he's been stripped of his powers. So suddenly the stakes are very high. Um, so all the afterlife stuff, like I think they did a great job with how it looks. It's very Gothic. Like as far as I can see, like the dresses that Lilan is wearing, which are all like these beautiful, like black ball gowns and things like they don't look Malaysian or Chinese they they're very like I feel like they might be influenced um from you know different cultures around but I think um I think the show has really sort of just created its own sort of look and vibe a lot of the time and it's very just kind of gothic and dark and interesting and a mix of different things um so I really liked it I thought visually um visually the show looks really really good and all the afterlife stuff is like there's a dark creepiness to it. I don't think it's really ever scary, but it certainly has a creepy surrealness to it that can, it can kind of throw you off kilter a little bit. Um, just because I think I haven't really seen anything like it. Um, so yeah, I, I thought it was really beautiful in a very, yeah, gothic kind of way, I suppose. Um, so yeah, I won't spoil the ending because I really think I think you you could give it a go. it's so short, it's such an easy watch and i've I found it really, really fun and just really interesting. Leland is quite a great character, you know she's very um well I liked her a lot, I think she's very strong, she really stands up to people um and she you know I guess there's a kind of an element where. In a way when she when it comes to the romance, which is actually quite understated in the drama it's it is sort of an undercurrent for sure, but it 's not like a huge sort of swoony thing and when it comes to that romance, she 's sort of choosing in a way, i suppose between if she does marry this second male lead love interest guy who has the fiance who's devoted to her. So if she does marry him, she has to move into his big richy rich house and she has to be lady of the house and she has to throw parties and she has to kind of play this role of a very traditional woman. And Lilan isn't really sure that that's what she wants out of life. She has really, really big dreams and she wants to travel and she wants to see the world And on top of that, now that she has investigated both who killed Tianqing and also the other aspect of who he's bribing in the underworld, and she's really risked her life and been very clever and done, you know, really amazing things in order to investigate those. Like she's she's actually found that experience very thrilling and very exciting. And I think she's realized that, you know, maybe that's not what she wants to just be a wife. Um, Not that there's anything wrong with that, but if it's not what you want, you shouldn't have to. That's just the idea of it, I think. And I really liked seeing that transition of her sort of just realising who she was and what she wanted out of life. Um, So I think the show, I guess I want to talk a little bit about how it deviates from the book, but not in any detail, because probably you haven't watched the show or read the book. (laughs) But if you have, then you will know what I'm talking about. So um, one of the biggest changes, I think there's a lot of changes, um, small things in terms of the plot, in terms of events, some things taken out, some things put in, but nothing like hugely, hugely drastic. For me, the most drastic part that was a change was the male lead, Erlang. So Erlang is the 500 year old heaven deity investigator dude. Um, His entire personality in the show is different. So in the book, he doesn't even show up till about a third of the way into the novel. And when he shows up, he's very, very mysterious. Like he's wearing like a black sort of sedge hat. and You can't even see his face for like a very long time. And he's not, I guess he's very contained and very controlled and very fucking good at his job. And then in the show, the character of Erlang is like, He's mischievous, he's ridiculous, he's constantly joking and just sort of pushing back in the face of any sort of authority and sort of jumping around and climbing on things and just bickering non stop with Lilan. So it's just such a different vibe. And yet, I can really see how maybe as the show creators, um, they felt that that would work better because they bring him into the story a lot earlier in the show than, than he does in the novel, which I think makes sense just to, you know, he's one of the main characters. So get him in there at the start and get us to like um, Leland and him being together and investigating stuff. And the other reason that I think they did it um, was as a contrast, of course, to this perfect, perfect um, second male lead character, like to have Erlang be a bit shit, (laughs) a bit, you know, argumentative and a bit annoying. Like it kind of works well, I think as a comparison. And also because um, even though the show does cover all of the say, plot events that happen in the book, it doesn't really have a ending to the romance in the way the book does. In the book, um, Lilan makes a very clear choice between the men in her life, while in the show um, it's more about her choosing which life she wants rather than which man she wants, which is quite good I think I quite liked that um it was quite different uh and then I feel like the show because the romance element is ongoing and doesn't really have a fully fully kind of completed ending I think the show is obviously angling for um a second season which frankly would be wonderful like I would fucking love it if it got a second season so fingers crossed for that um I think they just because they change his personality and change the show a bit, I think they really do set it up well. Like you could definitely watch this whole show as a standalone, but if it has a second season, I think that would be very, very welcome. Um, my only sort of quibble with it, and it's not a real quibble, um, but I kind of liked the actor who played the ghost, who's like a complete despot, like he's an idiot. Um, but the ghost Tian Qing, the dead son, I kind of like the actor who played him, And he's sort of more how I imagined the main male lead, Erlang, when I read the book. So I kind of kept imagining those two actors being swapped and how cool that would have been. But I think that's more of just a bias left over from reading the book. And as it stands, I think this show is is really good. I really, really enjoyed it. So I think that's all for me waffling on about a Chinese drama on my Korean drama show. Um, So, yeah, I think that's it from me. So that was The Ghost Bride definitely go check it out if you have some time or if that sounds like your kind of jam. For my random thing this week, I just wanted to talk about a little weird, uh, Korean folktale horror story that I heard on a different podcast recently. Um, I won't go into the story hugely, hugely, but I'll just give you a very small overview of what it was. Um, and hopefully I remember what it was. <laughs> this was a little while ago that I heard it, but I thought it was quite interesting. Um, not so much for the horror story itself, but, you know, a lot of um, folk tales from all different cultures around the world, um, you know, they're often meant to be educational. They're meant to teach the listeners something. And this one certainly has a moral and the moral is quite interesting. And that's more... I guess, what I wanted to talk about just very briefly. So basically, um, and I can't for the life of me remember what this story is called, unfortunately, but it's set during the Joseon dynasty. And it's this dude, um, you know, like, I don't think he's super rich, but, you know, he'd have like a little landhold holding in a nice house. And he has um, two sons and a, a younger daughter. So he dotes on his daughter. So his wife must have, passed away, I think. Um, so he absolutely loves his little daughter. And one day his little daughter goes out into the forest to, I don't know, collect some fucking mushrooms or some berries or sticks or some shit. I don't know, but she doesn't come home and he freaks out. So the dad goes running off into the forest with his two sons to try and find her. And when they do find her, one of the sons for a moment thinks that he sees something weird, but you know, then the daughter's fine and maybe he just imagined it, you know. Um, So they bring the daughter home and she's just a bit funny. And then um, that night everyone goes to bed and The next day they wake up, some of their livestock has been slaughtered and, you know, its insides eaten out of its belly and, you know, its liver or whatever. Um, And so if you know anything about Korean folklore, you will know where that's going, because I just mentioned the liver. (laughs) Um, So, you know, they start to think, oh, we better investigate. So the dad makes his younger son um, go out to the shed and, you know, wait all night and see what's getting his animals. And the younger son the next day is like... My little sister just went and ate the belly off that creature. Like, it's her. She's evil. And the dad is just so angry at this, the suggestion that his daughter could have done such a terrible thing that he basically banishes his son and the son goes off out into the world to do whatever. Just, you know, that's it. He's lost his inheritance. He's lost his family. He's gone. Um, and then the next night, basically the exact same thing happens with the eldest son and the eldest son is a little bit more pushy. He's like, no, definitely it's her. She did it. She did it. And, um, but the dad just, you know, he'll hear nothing about it. And so the eldest son then gets sent off as well. And so I think like a year passes or some shit and then eventually the two sons are like you know who knows maybe we made a mistake maybe our dad's stupid whatever let's go home and have a look. So they both go home and they find out that the dad is is dead and everything's shit and the daughter's like crying and she's really sad and all the animals are gone and the whole place has fallen into ruin. So they kind of set up in the little house to try and you know fix things Um, but then out of the two brothers, the younger one, um, you know, he gets murdered that night. And the older one realizes that it is the daughter. She is a gumiho and she's been infected by, you know, a gumiho since that time she went walking in the woods. And because the dad wouldn't listen to the sons, everything has got, you know, too far. And then, you know, everything goes even more to shit. And that's the end of the story. But the thing that really interests me about this story like I was saying, all these folk tales always have or usually have morals. Sometimes I find they're really hard to figure out what the moral is. You listen to these stories and you're like, what the fuck does that even possibly mean? Like, what could that be trying to tell me? Um, So apparently the, I guess, theme of this story is that this father coveted his daughter more than his sons. He loved his daughter more than his sons. He was willing to exile and sacrifice his sons and his sons' well-being and his sons' future for his daughter. And the point of the story is that that is bad. That the father should have listened to his sons over his daughter and he should have exiled his daughter or, you know, I don't know, killed her, got rid of her, whatever, or that So that's the point of the story. The point of the story is that, you know, and I guess it's true back in Joseon times, your son is your future. Your son is your legacy because women can't, you know, they can't inherit property. They can't keep a family going. It's only really the sons that can. Um, So it was just kind of interesting to realize that the point of a creepy, you know, grotesque, scary horror story is actually dudes are better than girls. (laughs) But of course, you know, like that culturally around the whole world, that is sort of how things used to be, um, which is, you know, just the way that things were as much as that might've sucked. Um, but yeah, I guess in Korea, particularly during the Joseon Dynasty, you know, it was a very very patriarchal kind of society and system. Um so I can see how a story like that would have developed. So anyway, I thought it was very interesting and just another little insight into Joseon Korea, I suppose. And it's nice to hear one of those old folk tales but actually understand the intention behind the creation of that story. So this brings me to my something I'm loving segment this week. Um, so I thought this week something that I've been really excited about um, is just I've been keeping up with I guess some entertainment news in terms of casting and announcement of new upcoming dramas for this year 2020. Um, so I guess I just wanted to talk about a few upcoming dramas that I am going to keep my eye out for and that I'm quite excited about. So the first one I'm going to talk about is one that I believe is airing currently as I record this in January 2020. Um, I haven't really got got onto watching it yet, but it is one that I would like to give a try. I think it sounds kind of fun. So it stars Taekyeon. Um, For some reason, Taekyeon's always in the dramas I want to watch. Very strange. Um, so I think I've seen practically everything he's been in without following him around k land. I, I just, I don't know. I just always end up watching his stuff. Um, but, you know, usually his stuff's pretty solid. So this is kind of a, my understanding is so mystery thriller is how it's being built, but I believe that there's a supernatural twist to it. So Taekyeon, uh, in the kind of promos I've seen, is kind of a psychic. Um, so he can see people's death and he gets enlisted by a violent crimes uh, detective, I guess, played by the actress uh, Lee Yeonhee. Um, I quite like her. I think she's quite good. Um, some people say she's a terrible actress, but I don't know. I, I quite like her. Um, so it looks quite serious. Um, and basically there's a serial killer and he has to use his supernatural abilities. And I guess it's like, you know, very case focused, uh, plotty stuff. So this drama is called the game towards zero. Uh, and I think it's out now to watch. So I think I will check out that one. I think it looks pretty interesting. Uh, so another one that I'm interested in is, I'm not sure when this one's meant to air, but we've just had like casting confirmation. Um, I'm not even sure what this one's called. Oh dear, it's called something hard to say. So it's based on a webtoon and the drama will be called Convenience Store Set uh, I think Set Buell is the name of the main character. So I'm excited about this one because Kim Yoo Jung has been cast as the lead actress. Um, I love her. I've loved her for a very, very long time um, since she was a child actress, really. Like she's such a beautiful young woman and I think um, very charming. And I just really, I really, really like her. But I also must say that you know, she hasn't been in a huge amount of dramas as an adult in lead roles. And I haven't, you know, I haven't really loved them all either. So I feel like she's one of those actresses who has absolute A-list star power and has the potential to be amazing and for me to love her even more than I do. And yet I never really tend to see her in good things. Um, so I am quite looking forward to this just in the hopes that it'll be good. Uh, and also, it's just confirmed that the male lead will be very, very famous actor, um, Ji Chang-wook. So that's pretty cool. So Ji Chang-wook from, you know, Healer and a million other dramas, Suspicious Partner, a million others. So he's very, very good as well. So that's like, I think that's a very solid pairing and I'm quite excited about it. Um, I don't fully know what it's about. It sounds like maybe a little bit rom-com-ish so sort of vibe. But basically he's an ex office worker who now owns a convenience store. And apparently he's like quite perfect, but also really clumsy. I don't know. that sounds interesting. And apparently she is a little bit feisty, maybe has a bad past and is trying to sort of do better. And she is his part time worker. So it sounds like the kind of kind of drama that I think if their chemistry is good and the sparks are flying, it, it could really carry the show and be good fun. So I am looking forward to that. Um, and then the other drama that I'm feeling weirdly obsessive about, even though it's not even out yet. So I think this drama will come out towards the end of February 2020. And it is called I'll go to you when the weather is nice which is such a nice name for a drama. I'll go to you when the weather is nice. So this story is based on an existing novel and it is a romance melodrama. Hence, you know, I guess such a melancholic sort of title. Um, As you would know, if you've listened to (laughs) my podcast episode that I did about the melodrama romance between lovers, I'm, I'm into it. I am into romantic melodrama. Also, to make this one even more exciting, it stars the actress Park Min-young from uh, "Why Secretary Kim and Her Private Life and a million other wonderful dramas. Um, Park Min-young is such a beautiful, amazing actress. I just love her. So she's starring in this um, alongside So Kang-joon. So So Kang-joon is, I really, really love him. I don't, think he's great and everything. I think he's picked a lot of really shit projects that I don't want to watch, but I think that when he's good, he's really, really good. And I love the sound of the setup of this show. Um, and I'm also really love them, uh, as a pairing. I think they really work. Also, they must be two of the most beautiful people in the whole universe. And I don't know how I'll handle like that much prettiness on my screen at once. Like it's pretty insane. And they both look like crazy models. Um, But the story itself is about a young woman played by Park Min Young, who I think has left her small town, gone to Seoul and had a really, really tough time. And now after many years is returning home um, to, I guess, maybe heal and recover after some bad experiences that I don't know what they are. And when she comes home, she reunites with this young man played by Seoul Kang Joon, who um, has, you know, clearly been in love with her since high school school, um, which, you know, it's one of my favorite tropes, (laughs) secret unrequited love, pining longingly for years. fucking love that stuff. Um, But anyway, this guy owns like a local secondhand bookshop and they just, you know, have moments and I guess slowly have a healing romance. So basically it sounds like between lovers, which is why I'm so pumped for it. <laughs> um and also uh the character played by Sol Kang-joon who owns the bookstore, he's described as a very warm, kind person. Um so that sounds quite nice for a male lead, I think. Um so yeah, and then the other drama that I think I'm Oh gosh, there's so many. So there's Park So joons new one, so him from Why Secretary Kim and a million other dramas uh so he's always good and I think he does usually pick things that I want to watch so his new drama is called Itaewon Class uh and I think is out quite soon so Itaewon Class looks like a bit of an ensemble and Park Seo Joon plays like I'm not sure if he used to be rich or he used to be corporate or whatever but now he's trying to open a restaurant in Itaewon so Itaewon is apparently a suburb of Seoul that is very international um so it has, you know, foods and people and from all over the world. And it's like a real melting pot of different cultures. And I think also I get the impression that it is a very young person, vibrant sort of, um, you know, new startup kind of an area. Um, so this show looks quite interesting because it looks a little bit more grungy than I think we're used to kind of seeing, particularly for Park Seo Joon, who, you know, although he has played less rich characters, he does tend to play, you know, suited, high-flying CEOs or geniuses quite a lot. And in this, um, maybe he's an ex-suited genius, but now he's just like a restaurant owner in a little you know, grimy neighborhood and he just looks very normal. Um, So I'm quite interested in that. It just looks like it's very much about young people following their dreams and sort of pushing back to create a space for themselves. Um, And also, apparently, the female lead in it is a sociopath. And I'm like, hmm, well, that sounds interesting. So I think that'll be good. And then I think the very last drama that I'm excited about, but that one, I don't think will be coming out till um, towards the end of 2020, Um, is by the writer of the Heirs and also a bunch of other hit dramas. So I think her name's Kim eun Suk. Is that right? Did she do Descendants of the Sun, maybe? I don't know. She's mad famous and her latest drama will be the kind of comeback drama for the actor Lee Min-ho, who I wonder if this is the first time I've mentioned Lee Min-ho on my Korean drama podcast. And If so, that's insane. I know he's been at ARMY for the last two years, but he's, you know, he's still one of the biggest Korean like actors at the moment he's huge um so it'll be his comeback drama i think um it sounds very interesting um it's also oh my gosh i've forgotten her name um but the main female lead who is in cheese of the cheese on the trap um Kim, oh Kim go I think her name is. Um, so I really, really like her. And the second male lead is Wudo Hwan, who obviously I absolutely adore. So I'm very, very excited for that drama. I think it's called The King or something about The King, something King King. I don't really know. I think there'll be so much promo for that before it comes out that I will definitely know for sure later. (laughs) Um, So I'm really excited about that one. It sounds like a very big sweeping story about um, alternate realities and doppelgangers and romance and stuff. So I think it sounds wonderful. So I think I've waffled on about upcoming dramas probably enough, but, you know, that is something I've been really loving this week is getting excited about all the drama watching I'm going to be doing in the future. I think at the moment, other than, you know, the Lee Min Ho drama scheduled for later in the year. The one that I'm most excited about is the romance melodrama, I'll Go To You When The Weather Is Nice. Um, I'm really excited to see Park Min Young and So Kang Jun together in a drama. I think it's a really nice pairing, particularly if it's quite an understated, quiet, you know, healing romance actually sounds really, really lovely. So I'm really looking forward to it.